That's what we do. We, we get together and we, 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 we sing and we laugh and we love and we live as God does. God is alive and he has made us to represent that on the earth. This is what a human is. We are little reflections of God filling the earth, radiating his glory and his life, created distinctly from all other living creatures. No other creature on the earth is said to be made in his image. It is alone humanity that uniquely reflects him. And this is what makes sin so tragic. God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of this forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. Life will stop when you sin against me. And Satan slithered in and whispered, you will not surely die. He is a liar and the father of lies, and his lies lead to death. Because Romans 6.23 tells us most certainly that the wages of sin is death. What we earn by sinning against a holy God is, is death, spiritual death and physical death. Adam and Eve sinned, and death entered the world now there are murderers and terrorists and wars and cancer wards and effective sin that leads to death. There are graveyards and, and there is an eternal hell for those who die and do not have their sins against a holy God forgiven. Sin separates us from God who is life. Isaiah 59.2, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Sin separates humans from God. Sin leads to death because it breaks relationship with God who is the source of life. But God does not delight in his image bearers dying. No matter how wicked they are, he does not love that. He loves life. That's why he gave life. Listen to this. Ezekiel 33, 11. As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and what? Live. God says, I want even the wicked to live. God has life in himself, and he takes no pleasure in anyone dying, including wicked people dying. He wants them to have life. This is why God has acted so mercifully in the face of our sin and in the face of our wickedness by providing the great hope of salvation. God wants us to, to live despite our sin. Hear what God has done. God so loved the world, the sinful, rebellious, murderous world, that he gave his only son he gave that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He wants sinners to have life. God sent his son into the world to save it by granting eternal life to all who will believe, no matter where they have been or what they have done. God makes a way for us to be reunited with him, to be reconciled with him, and to share his very life forevermore, which is what he created us for in the beginning, that we lost, and then he redeems to take us into a world where death shall be no more. God's about life. He is life, and he gives life. 
This is what Jesus was talking about when he spoke with the, the sinful woman at the well, the one who was ashamed of all the things that she had done and went out to get water in the heat of the day when nobody else would be out there. And he, he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Speaking of the water from the well, he said, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He says, you're looking for life and you're not going to find it at the bottom of a well, but you'll find it from what I'm going to give you. You're not going to find it with some relationship or anywhere else. You're going to find life in me. Jesus came that sinners like her, sinners like you, sinners like me might have life, abundant, eternal life. God is the giver of life, physical life and eternal life. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, See now that I, even I, am he. There is no God besides me. I bring death and I make alive. God is the giver of life and he alone, because he's the giver of life, he alone has the right to take life away. Because God gives life, it is precious, it is sanctified. You may have heard people talk about the sanctity of life. That's what it means. It's set apart. It's unique. It's distinct. Life means something because of who gave it and what it, what it reflects. Life is not just a testimony to human greatness. No, it's a testimony there's a God who made us. People made in God's image have inherent value. So if you walked into my office and you saw a, a, a Picasso or a, a Monet or a Van Gogh, you might think, what? Where'd you steal that from, right? Because I know you ain't got no cheddar, right? <laughs> I don't have one, so don't go rooting through my office. But you would say, they are what? They're valuable, right? And, and why are they valuable? Because of who painted them, right? It's the same thing with, with people. Men and women are made in God's image. That, that is what makes them valuable. He made them and they reflect him. That's what sets human beings apart. So to deface that image through murder is a great evil. Murder is a, is a terrible sin that seeks to, to snuff out the very image of God's life, to stab, to shoot, to strangle, to torture, to beat, to poison an image bearer to death so that the, the picture of God's life ceases. It's a horrific sin. It takes the portrait of God's life-being, life-bearing image, and tears it in two. God says, you shall not murder. This is why a just land has laws that forbid murder and that protect people susceptible to being killed unjustly. Um, that, that's true from womb to tomb. God's people care about life, and, and, and just lands will have just laws that try to uphold life. This is also why God gave a very severe judgment for anyone who murders another person. Genesis 9-6. This is right after the Noah gets off of the, the ark, 
And God institutes the penalty for killing another image bearer. Hear this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, murderously, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. The reason that a murderer is to be put to death by the hands of another human justly under God's oversight and direction is because that person took an image bearer's life. And there is a great severe penalty that God brings upon that that person for that, that wicked act. This is where capital punishment was instituted, as it were. Now, there were stipulations for that to be upheld um, justly. You had to have two or three witnesses. There's a lot more there. But the principle is clear that if someone was guilty of murder, God would use other image bearers to represent him in executing justice upon them by putting them to death. God alone reserves that right, which is why he says, you shall not murder. You shall not murder because he is life and he gives life. You shall not murder because God alone has the right to send people into eternity. God says you shall not murder because Jesus laid down his life. And we have no right to unjustly take other people's lives. So what kind of God would command this? One who gives life, who values life, who gave his life to save our lives and to provide the hope of eternal life. This is the kind of God that would give such a command as, you shall not murder. Okay, well then, what kind of people would need this command? What kind of people would need to hear such a command as, you shall not murder? Well, I think people who are tempted to forget how precious the life of another human being is. People who are tempted to forget just how precious the life of of a fellow human being is. And no matter how much we know humans are valuable theologically, like we can get that in our minds, practically it can be very tough to guard ourselves from evil attitudes and actions that demean and tear down and despise another image bearer, isn't it? Someone that we're around all of the time, maybe, or someone that just pops into our life for a moment, something we hear about in the news, whatever it may be, there is a very real temptation in our hearts to view them as less than image bearer. God gave this command because murderous hearts abound. Now, Not to make light in any way, but I do think that most of us, when we read this command, we think, all right, of all of the ones, like, I feel pretty good about this one. How many of you, when you come past this one, you feel, all right, most people probably have that initial response to this, this command. I remember a number of years ago, I was, I was sharing the, the gospel with a, a guy named, named Victor, um, we'd, we were sitting at a table near one another and struck up a conversation. I asked him if he went to church. He said, well, not as much as he should. And I said, well, do you, do you mind if I just ask you some questions about what you believe? And he said, sure. I said, so, well, do, do you believe that there's a heaven and a hell? Do you think that there's a, an afterlife with a distinction of where people go depending on, on what happens in this life? And he said, he said, yes. 
Uh, and then he interjected pretty quickly that he was pretty sure that God would let most people into heaven unless they were somebody like whom? Who do you think he mentioned? Adolf Hitler, right? He, and that was who he said. He said, uh, you know, most people would probably get unless it was somebody like Adolf Hitler. And I asked, well, why do you think Hitler wouldn't go to heaven? And he said, because he killed millions of people. I said, okay. I said, what, what if he only killed one million people? Would he, would he still, would there be any hope of heaven? And he said, no. I said, okay. I said, what about a thousand? He said, no. I said, what about a hundred? He said, nope. I said, what about ten? He said, probably not. I said, okay. <laughs> I said, what about, what about five? And he said, yeah, they'd probably make it. I said, okay, so five's the number. He said, yeah, I think so. I said, okay, which led to some other conversations. <laughs> um, why five and all of that, right? Um, but what I saw in him was, was something that I think res, resonates with, with many people. Most people I have conversations with about spiritual realities agree that murder is wrong and and it's probably the worst of all the sins, and they feel a bit of safety by saying, well, at least I've never killed anyone. Now again, I want to say that some in this room can't say that with a clear conscience. Well, I, all, I hope we all would agree that we should not murder people, it is important to understand exactly what God is forbidding in this command, you shall not murder. And this is where Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, serves us very well. So you can either turn there and look, or it's in your bulletin again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. In the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he is stepping on the scene as the true rabbi. And what he's doing is he's, he's correctly interpreting the law of God so that the people of God can, by the Spirit of God, obey the will of God. That's what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not doing away with the Ten Commandments and establishing some new kind of law, but rather what he's doing is he's, he's fulfilling. He said, I not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And he does that in part here by correcting the shallow, insufficient interpretation of the Pharisees who were wrongly teaching what God was teaching in the commandments. Here's how he does it. Matthew 5, 21, this is Jesus You've heard that it was said to those of old, those under the old covenant, you shall not murder. That's our text. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's that Genesis 9 text. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. When Jesus says, you've heard it say, but I say, he's not doing away with the law. I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, he said, but to fulfill them. You see, what he knows is that the religious leaders of the day taught that all you needed to do was to not murder, and you were good, to, good with God on this one. And Jesus agreed, you shall not murder. And Jesus agreed that there was a severe consequence for those who did murder, but he makes it very clear in this, this text that that is not all that God was teaching through Moses when he gave the, the sixth commandment. God's command to not murder is not intended to merely keep us 
for murderous actions, but also to keep us from murderous attitudes. You see, because God is not merely concerned with the external act of of murder, but also the internal, heart-centered attitude of murder that rests within us. He doesn't just care about external action, which he does, but also and equally about the internal attitude that surrounds that sin. Most of us think I'd never really kill someone. Hopefully not, but, but the act of murder always begins with the attitude of murder. And Jesus calls us to see that before a holy God, he sees what's on the outside and what's on the inside. He, and he wants us to know that the sinful attitude of murder condemns us before God just as much as the act of murder. Not that hatred towards somebody feeling it is just as bad as actually killing them. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. There are some different degrees of, of sin, some being more severe than other. But what he's saying is what James says, that when you break the law, you break the whole thing. So you are condemned before God. You're not safe if you don't just kill people, is what Jesus is saying. If you have murder in your heart, if you speak disparagingly about another image bearer, you are condemned before God. So all of a sudden, the commandment to not murder moves from, well, I'll never do that one to, oh, oh. Well, then I should listen a little closely now. Jesus says, everyone who insults his brother, the word is raka, it means you idiot, you good for nothing. Someone who looks at a fellow image bearer and says, you're good for nothing. You're a stinking idiot. Out of, a, out of a, an angry heart, he says, that condemns you before God. Whoever says, you fool, the Greek word is moros. What word do you think we get? You moron, like from a heart that's like, you, you're below me, you're a moron, you're an idiot. Jesus says, that attitude of despising others and insulting others is a serious sin because it degrades with a heart of murder a fellow image bearer. Jesus says, yes, murder condemns you. But the, the name calling that comes from a I don't like this person, the gossip about other people that tears them down when they're not there, the slander of lying about them, this morning I jumped on social media for a moment, which was dumb. Um, and I saw someone I know tweet something about someone else that I know, about a situation that I know about, and they are totally wrong about it. Like they don't have all of the information. And I just thought they are spreading slanderous, murderous lies about people. And this is the air we breathe. What year is this? 2023. 2024 is about to happen, right? There's going to be all these campaigns leading up. You just watch. It is an art. How can you tear down other image bearers so that you get exalted? It is the air we breathe. It is dangerous, poisonous air, Jesus says. And God's people must not take part in it. 
If your job is to gossip and slander and tear down other people for the sake of, out of anger and motivation to make them less than, that's, you know. There's ways to be honest about other people that, is, that can be honorable to God. But there are ways that Christians do this and it is not honorable to God because it tears down fellow image bearers. It's not just true in politics. You can do this in every arena. Listen to what Jesus says again, Matthew 15, 18. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. So what, what makes somebody right before God or wrong before God is what comes out of the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. Jesus says you are unclean before God, not only if you physically murder someone, but if you have murder in your heart toward them. Friends, beware of hate in your heart, of envy in your heart, of jealousy in your heart, greed, lust, vengeance, anger, that attitude that feels so easy to justify at times. Jesus says is a, a dangerous one because attitudes can lead to actions. I'm going to read you a story in the Bible that has freshly been very hard for me to read in light of the fact that I have six children. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. Well, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat of the portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Elsewhere, we learn that the reason is, A, because he didn't bring it in faith, and B, because his, his, action, his, his heart was evil in doing all of this. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. His countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Repent, Cain. What's happening in your heart right now with this anger is not safe for you. If you turn from it, things will go well for you. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. If you leave this anger in there, Cain, this thing that is crouching to make it look like it's not as big and bad as it is, it's going to overpower you. Its desire is contrary to you and you must rule over it. We don't know how much longer until verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Hey, brother, would you come out and help me in the field? I need, I need help over here, away from the barn. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The word there for killed is a graphic word. 
in the Hebrew is the word butchered. He butchered his brother because he was jealous of him. And he was angry at him. He was always the one that was favored. And he was always the one God seemed to be happy with. So he killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Which the answer is yes. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. He's dead, but I hear his blood. It's crying out. What's it crying out for? Justice. Justice. You need to note here that God heard Abel's blood's cry for justice. God hears cries for justice against those who murder. We live in a world where there is much injustice. There are many lives taken in all sorts of arenas in unjust ways. Some of you in this room today have lost loved ones through unjust murder. And I just want you to know that God hears the cries of the blood. He hears it. God calls his people also to avoid Cain's example. The Apostle John uses this story to instruct the church. He says this, 1 John 3.11, We should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brothers, his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. This is, this is John, the apostle, applying Jesus' interpretation in the Sermon on the Mount of murder. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So rather, people of God, you shall not murder. And rather than murdering and having murderous attitudes and actions in our hearts, rather than using that to tear down or take down our fellow image bearers, rather than be marked by anger and envy and greed and jealousy and hatred, our attitudes must be arrested by the grace of Jesus. And see that he laid down his life so that we might have life. And that is intended to move us to extend mercy to others and to not take their lives. So what kind of people need this command? People who are tempted toward murderous attitudes and murderous actions. People like us. How should we obey this command then? One of the things that I wanted to save until now is, is something I think it's important. It's a translation issue. If you have the, the King James Bible, you may notice that the translation here says, you shall not kill. You shall not kill. Um, 
There's over a half dozen words in Hebrew for the taking of a human life. The one used by Moses in Exodus 20.13, this text, in Deuteronomy 5.17, the mirror text, is rasha. It is not the word for kill. Using the word kill here gives the impression that it's always wrong to take a human life with no exceptions. But that's not true. There are divine allowances for taking the life of another human being. The translation, you shall not murder, I think removes the lack of clarity and helps to hone in on exactly what God is commanding in this, in this text. If you want to talk about that more afterwards, I'm happy to. So then what would fit into that general category first? Before we talk about what is exactly being forbidden, there's three things I think that would fit into the category of, of potentially allowing for killing. God provides these in his word. So the first would be self-defense. Self-defense. Exodus 22.2 says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him who struck him. So if someone's coming into your home and trying to hurt you or your family, the idea is that if in the, mo- in the moment of you trying to defend yourself and your family, the person dies, then God says you're not guilty of murder. You've killed him, but you're not guilty of murder. Now, no jokes here. I've lived in Texas and Virginia where many people bear arms, and that's another sermon for another day. I just want to say you should never hope that you get to do that. If, like, that's your daydream, that is not from the Lord. There is a right to defend yourself and your family. But if you're thinking, I hope somebody breaks into this house, or you, yeah, if somebody came to this church, you know, we've, the security team will get them, or like, that's just not from the Lord. So guard your heart. So self-defense Secondly, would be just execution by government, just execution by government, just meaning righteous. Again, that Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. This is, by the way, the foundation of government. This is where God establishes a system by which man is to govern himself according to laws, which the entire law of Moses gives much more instruction for the people of God. This is what... Peter's referring to Romans, or Romans is referring to um, the Apostle Paul, uh, Paul that you should not, the government does not bear the sword for nothing. Police and courts and judges, it's part of the system appointed by God to uphold justice in the land. That being said, I want to be very clear that there, there can be a very good case to call into question our own justice system and whether or not it is always just in the way that it uses its force, certainly times that there are violations of that. I think this is a much further conversation at another time, but I think it's something that the people of God have to have a category for. It's important, too, because you want the system to be just in all measures. And then thirdly, an extension of that one is killing in a just war. So it's an extension of the former, as I said. It's if you want to read more about just war theory, happy to point you in, in that direction. But there's a category for nations pr- protecting themselves. There's no permission for imperialization. So what Russia's doing is, is obviously clearly murderous and evil. Ukraine defending itself. 
um, would be right and good, and, and there's more conversation that could go there. Um, and it would be really clear that God does not break his own laws or tempt others to break them when he commands people to, to carry out justice in killing people at times. So the book of Joshua, uh, Israel is commissioned by God as an instrument of his divine justice against idolaters who have taken over his land that he has given to his children. We're considering preaching through Joshua this, this summer, so maybe we'll, we'll talk about that more at that time. But protecting a nation protecting society, protecting yourself and loved ones, your home, at times may require killing, but that is different than murder. God's people should always hope to not have to kill. So then, then how, what does this mean? Number one, do not commit cold-blooded murder. Do not commit cold-blooded murder. Cold-blooded murder is premeditated murder what we would call first-degree murder. Exodus 21, 14, if someone deliberately attacks and kills another person, then the slayer must be dragged even from my altar and put to death. If someone plans, plots to murder someone, it is, it is, the, it is the, the bullseye of what this commandment is going after. You shall not murder in that way. So to be very clear, if you're here this morning and you are plotting or planning to kill someone, God's word to you is you shall not murder. Talk to us about it. We would love to help you walk through whatever it is that you're going through. You can commit this kind of murder without doing it yourself, by the way. David and Uriah, David used people under his authority to send and to go kill Uriah. He was an accessory to murder, and in that, that sense could be charged in this same way. Number two, so number one, do not commit cold-blooded murder. Number two, do not commit hot-blooded murder. Do not commit hot-blooded murder. This is the murder of passion. It's what we would call second-degree murder, where there's, there's a situation and it escalates, and you, you grab something, and you hit somebody, and you kill them. Or road rage, an argument that escalates, whatever, whatever it may be. That would be another example of you shall not murder. And this, by the way, is why you don't cultivate the attitude of murder in your heart because when you're pressed in some hot situation and you lose it for a second, it can have devastating consequences. You shall not commit cold-blooded, premeditated murder. You shall not commit hot-blooded murder of passion. Number three, you shall not commit careless murder. Careless murder. This is what we might call reckless homicide or involuntary manslaughter. The one that I have been, the way that I've thought about this most recently and been convicted by is texting while driving. I mean, how many lives are foolishly lost because of texting or whatever while you're driving. I've told our kids recently, if you see mom or dad texting while driving, say, hey, you told us to tell you no. Kiddos, talk to your parents about this. Um, parents, be humble. Okay? But you need to be, be careful. There's foolishness that can lead to, to, to other people dying. 
This, by the way, is different than accidental murder, which is tragic, but God does not hold one accountable for. Here's the example he gives in the law, Deuteronomy 19.5. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without hating him in the past, meaning if this ain't just a coincidence that this happened, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He says that is a tragic situation, but it's completely accidental in a way that's different than if you're texting while you're driving. Pray, though, pray that God would keep you from accidental murders. God, God's in control of all things. Plead for that. So do not commit cold-blooded murder. Do not commit hot-blooded murder. Do not commit careless murder. Fourthly, do not commit self-murder. Do not commit self-murder. The temptation towards suicide is a very real, abiding temptation for many people, including children of God. In my years as a pastor, walk with many people who feel the darkness is just inescapable. Some of you even hearing me talk about this, it, it may stir things up again. I just want you to know in God's providence, you're here for this word this morning, that no matter how dark and how deep and how heavy and how hopeless and how certain it seems that there's no other way, I just want you to know this is God's word to you, that there's another way. That he loves you. In his providence, he has arranged for you to hear this this morning. We are not a perfect church, but we are the kind of church that wants to walk with you. Please, step into the light. Reach out to us. God will give grace for whatever is ahead in this day or the days that come. And we want those days to be many. God will care for you. Please hear this commandment. This is also for you. You shall not murder. Number five. You shall not commit unborn murder. You shall not commit unborn murder. In our culture, this is commonly called abortion. Abortion is a serious sin. In the year 2020, there were some 930,000 abortions. That means roughly 20.6% of all pregnancies in the United States of America, one in five, ended with abortion. I understand laws have changed, and I'm grateful for that. That is an example, I think, of, of aiming to have justice in a system that helps slow down people who feel like they have no other option with an unplanned pregnancy. And there are many reasons that people would consider abortion. I just want you to know that if you're here this morning and you are, you have an unplanned pregnancy or your partner has an unplanned pregnancy, I want to acknowledge that it's scary. And again, this is not a perfect church, but we want to walk with you through that. If you know that you, you just can't keep the baby, I want you to know that this room is filled with people who would adopt that baby and walk with you and help you in every way. 
to be forthright with you, before I was a Christian, I was in this very same situation. A girlfriend and I got pregnant. And though it was not my body, it was my baby. And I took part in taking the life of my own child. you're here this morning and you feel like you're in the same spot where you feel like you've got no options, I just want you to know there's another way. And the Lord has you here today to hear this word, to let you know there are people who will and want to walk with you. There is grace for you, wherever you are in that journey. Please reach out. Sixthly and finally, do not commit euthanasia murder. Do not commit euthanasia murder. This is increasingly popular in our day, whether it be someone who is elderly, who feels like they have lost all quality of life, or whether there is a, a terminal sickness and someone desires to die with dignity. Very hard situations that many people face. And this command is in no way God being cruel to minimize the suffering of some. But I want you to know that God will walk with you through whatever suffering may come. And that he will help you. And that you must not commit murder. I mean this in the most tender way possible. To die with dignity. The only way you die with true dignity is to entrust your life and your death and the life and the death of your loved one to the Lord who knows. He is wise and he is good and he will help you through all of it. And I know that some of you have seen loved ones suffer terribly at the end of life in ways that have raised great questions about God. And I just want you to know that he is faithful and he will be with you. I also want to say that there's a difference between bringing about someone's death, and removing life-sustaining measures. There are numerous people in this room who have had to make or are in the process of making right now decisions about removing life-sustaining measures from loved ones. I just want to be really clear. I think, I think it's a wisdom issue, and I think you can pray through that, and this church desires to be the kind of church that helps you to walk through that. but it is, is not necessarily, in any way, shape, is not necessarily sinful to remove those life-sustaining measures. It may be wise and best, and it may be the great, the great way of faith. The Lord will give you wisdom, and we want to help you try to think through it. I walked through that with a friend when I was in Texas. His name was Dennis. He was 18 years old. He was at a party, and he got shot. So I missed mistook him for someone else. And he was paralyzed. And the only way he could live was on a ventilator. And he was like that for five or six years. And I met him in a rehab center where I would go and do gospel ministry and shared the gospel with him. And I hope he believed. But he became very convinced that he, he no longer wanted those life-sustaining 
measures and that if God wanted him to live, that he would live without them. And I was there when he made that decision. It was a very hard day. I don't think he sinned, though. I think he made a hard decision. And I hope he was right with the Lord. He thought he was, and I hope so. This is obviously a weighty word, and it's intended to be so. God gives this word, you shall not murder, to guard, to guard our hearts from murderous attitudes and actions that unjustly take the life from another person. And God wants his people to be a distinct sort of people, a people who, who endeavor to protect life, who see life as valuable, who work in every way personally and and in whatever measures they have in their jobs and their workplaces. Some of you have very clear opportunities to affect policies that help to further life and protect life. Take those measures and use them well. God has made you a steward to help keep image bearers alive. Honor God in that way. It is a commendable way to use your life. So this command not only tells us to not murder, but it, that we should value and love life, that we should labor with God to preserve life and protect life and promote life in all ways. And please, people of God, please do not get so politicized that you, you lift up one sort of protection of life at the cost of another. Jesus is our king, and he is neither Democrat nor Republican. And shame on us if we would ever dismiss the needs of our neighbors because a different polit political camp values one over another. May that not be true among us. May we say what is true. Lord, show us the way that we would care about all life, from womb to tomb, in ways that honor God and love our neighbor. And what moves us to do that is not just guilt of don't be a murderer, but it is the grace of Jesus who was murdered in our place. This is the good news of the gospel. This whole text is intended to prime the, the, the pump of our heart to see that, that in the face of all of our murderous attitudes and actions in a world that cries out with blood, blood everywhere, on our tongues and our hands, on the ground, it's everywhere, that into that world that God would send his son, Jesus. That though we were still sinners, though we were still murderers, Christ would come and die. What kind of death? An unjust, murderous death at the hands of sinners. It shows true humanity. What would humanity do if they could get their hands on God? They'd nail him to a cross. And he would come and willingly endure that. Why? So that he who knew no sin might become sin in our place. So that he would take the sins of people like Richard, the sins of people like your pastor, sins of people in this room, whether it be actions or attitudes, every spectrum in between, that he would take them upon himself on the cross and then take them to the grave and say, paid in full, it is finished, and then rise from the dead and extend a word that says, now, blood that cried out for justice, justice has come. And now, the blood of Jesus, hear this, Hebrews 12, 24, Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Mercy, mercy, mercy. 
Justice is good. And because God is good, he paid it in full on the cross. So now no matter where you've been or what you've done or what you thought or what you felt, that if you will turn from your sin and cling to Jesus, his blood will now cry out mercy on your behalf that you might be able to approach the throne of grace and be reconciled to God, the God who is life and who gives life. Delray Baptist Church, do not murder and pursue promoting and protecting life in every way that we can, supremely by proclaiming that good news that the world might hear and have life everlasting.